Welcome to the 10-12, podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. As always, I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us for our 32nd and final episode in the show's current format. As we've been teasing for a while, big changes on the horizon for the show. First up, name change. We are still the 10-12 podcast, but instead of the number 10, the number 12, we are now T-E-N, number 12, word podcast. Not only that, you're going to have to find us again on iTunes. There's a new iTunes channel up, T-E-N-12. It's an episode up so you can get an idea of, of what the new format is like with me and my new co-host, Chris Ross. We'll be releasing episodes twice a week instead of once a week, shorter, easier to digest, and allows us the opportunity to stay on top of stories as they come along, as opposed to doing it week by week and hoping we can get to everything. So do us a favor, follow the new show, T-E-N-12 Podcast on iTunes, on Libsyn, on Google Play. We will continue to add more places that the show will be available now that we've switched over from SoundCloud to Libsyn. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter. Right now, it's at the number 10, the number 12, the word podcast. On January 1st, that will be T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. It's going to be easier to find than using the weird character I've been using up to this point. All right, so this is the final episode of 2018. We are wrapping up our bowl previews. Taylor Estes of Horns 24-7 joins the show. We're going to preview the Sugar Bowl, talk about the Longhorns' chances to actually win this game. Look back at Season 2 under Tom Herman. Look a little bit ahead to what we can expect for 2019. Also, previewing the Liberty Bowl, Kyle Porter, Pistols Firing Blog, Pete Scantleberry of Rock M Nation joined the show. It's a really fun interview. I had a really good time with it. I think you're going to join it. Plus, two teams, former Big 8, Big 12 opponents meeting in Memphis. This is going to be a good game. It is. A lot of points. A lot of fun. Wrap things up with our Orange Bowl preview. Playoff semifinal. OU Bama is going to be really fun. Seth Olivares from Crimson and Cream Machine. Joshua Chatham, Roll Bama Roll, join the show. Not only are we going to preview the bowl game, we're going to talk about the playoff expansion from the perspective of two teams who have made the playoff regularly. Bama and OU don't need the playoff to expand. So what are their thoughts? Chatham's got some interesting thoughts. I would call them controversial, mostly because I don't agree with them. But it's a really interesting debate. Right, so remember, go follow the new show, 1012 Podcast, T-E-N, the number 12 word podcast. Follow us on iTunes so you get all the updates, links to all of the show sites. And go check out the first episode. It's a lot of fun. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Without further ado, let's get to it. Big 12 has a chance to make a splash in the bowl season when Texas faces off against Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. It's a big matchup, big shot for Texas to prove that they might actually finally be back. But can they do it? Very excited to have Taylor Estes, 24-7 Sports, back on the show to help preview this game. Taylor, how are you? I'm doing well, Philip. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, it's it's Christmas week. Uh, <laughs> how can you not be excited? There's bowl games like every day. It's just, it's a very nice, very nice time, the end of the year, to just relax and enjoy some football um, before 2019 gets here. Right, yeah, it's the most wonderful time of the year for many reasons. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so this is a huge game for Texas. You know, all, all year, there's been debates, is Texas back, is Texas not back? I mean, it's been a running joke for a decade. And I, I'm of the opinion that if Texas can win this game, it is the first step to finally saying, that they might actually be back, that this really is, everything really is going in the right direction. Because This is a, a real and legitimate Georgia team. It's a Georgia team that was talented enough to be in the playoff, whether they deserve to or not, it's not the point. The talent is there. So the question is, can Texas take this opportunity and do something with it? So let's just start with, where do you, where do you see Texas having a strength and a real shot to pull off this victory? You know, it's, I think it's really difficult at this point because, like, I really, when Texas got this matchup, I was like, oh, man, like, that is not a good matchup for Texas. Because I think this Georgia team, how you said, you know, it's one of the best teams out there, and they've proven that. And, they, you know, whether they deserve to be in the college football playoff or not doesn't really matter because they were competing for it. So I think that Texas definitely did not get the best draw for, um, you know, their opponent in this type of bowl game that's going to have a lot of eyeballs on them because I think even if it wasn't, um, you know, like 
the the number five to you know the sugar bowl or something like that. I think a lot of people, how you said, like think Texas is on the way back. So the attention is there, and then they get this type of opponent that is such a difficult one. It's going to be very interesting. But the one thing that you have to look at what Tom Herman has done all season long, and and the Texas team in general is they've really gotten up for the big games and the big opponents that were on their schedule. Now you know Big Twelve championship game aside. But still, I mean, when they play in Oklahoma back in October in the Red River shootout, when, you know, USC, who I know that they didn't turn out being like a good team, but still like, you know, they were ready when, you know, um, West Virginia, they played a really close game. So I think that I think that Texas has proven that they're up when like they'll play up to their opponents a lot of times. And I think we saw that with a lot of the close games this season, whether that was the good ones or the bad ones. But you have to you can't overlook the good ones that they did play up to. And even the Oklahoma game. You know, that or the Big 12 championship game, you know, it was close up until the fourth quarter. So I think that Texas being like showing all season long that they did, in fact, show up for those type of big games, I think has something to work in their favor. And Tom Herman has shown that throughout his coaching career. So I would say that's probably the biggest positive <laughs> that I would see for Texas heading into this game. You know, for the for the players and the coaches, there's there's especially for a school like Texas, there's no such thing as a moral victory in this game. Mm-hmm. But is there something you could see in this game, even if they lose, that would that would let you come away from it feeling positive and optimistic, especially heading into 2019? I think that the biggest thing would be how the offense goes up against the Georgia defense, because Georgia's defense is going to be one of the best if not the best defense that Texas will face this season. And, you know, a lot of people look at big 12 stats and the, you know, what, how the, how much scoring goes on and stuff. And they kind of just make a joke saying like, you know, the big 12 is such a joke of a defensive conference, but they've shown like when they have, when Oklahoma last year played Georgia, you know, they put up 35 points or something like that against them. And Georgia at the time was a top five scoring defense. So, you know, I think that if Texas can really put up a fight, even if they can't pull it off, but could kind of make a statement offensively. I think that'll be really big for the future um, of the program because Sam Ellinger is still a sophomore. And so I think that if he can kind of put this game like on his back and really just kind of run with it and show that the the offensive production that that Texas has shown throughout the year is not just a fluke against to- like terrible Big 12 defenses. It actually is legitimate. I think that could be considered, you know, a little bit of a moral victory for Texas future. Looking back just at 2018 for a minute, how would you say, bowl game aside, how would you kind of grade this season uh, year two for Tom Herman? I mean, I think that, I I think you give it a solid B at least, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say that it was an A-plus season at all because I think, you know, an A-plus season would be double-digit wins, so in the regular type of season, in my opinion. So I think that, I think the way that Texas has, really improved um, in those type of like close games. They've shown that the, the ability to close, which last season was a really big, you know, big challenge. I mean, they played in so many close games, but they threw it away and they couldn't find a way to win those games where this season, even in, I know they didn't win every close game, but in a lot of the close games, they did find a way to win. And that wouldn't have happened last year. So I think that that shows that, in my opinion, that shows maturity a little bit more of the team. But it also, I think, shows that, this team has kind of really bought in to Tom Herman and what he's selling. And so I think that that would be, you know, I think that's probably something to kind of look at there. How are fans feeling about this bowl game? I mean, not just the game itself, but playing in a sugar bowl, which is a big deal and facing a team like Georgia, are fans feeling, are they just excited for the game? Are they optimistic? Are they nervous? What's kind of the fan feel so far? I kind of feel like I feel like Texas fans are excited that to see the team be able to play in a prestigious bowl and not, you know, actually go outside the state of Texas for a bowl game, which is the first time since uh, 2011. So I think that is something that Texas fans see as a positive and see as progress, to be honest. Um, You know, I think a lot of fans were kind of down um, at the Big 12 champion after the Big 12 championship game because there was seemed to be a lot of hope that Texas could kind of pull it off against Oklahoma, which I thought, you know, I, I think it's difficult for any team to beat the same team twice in the season, regardless of who the opponent is. So, you know, I didn't really have too much optimism there, but I think Texas fans kind of had that let down after that Big 12 cha- championship game. But 
But I think at this point, honestly, Texas fans should not be complaining about anything because there have been like minimal bull trips over the last number of years for Texas fans. And so the fact that the Longhorns were able to go from a seven win or seven and six win team last year to um, a nine and three regular season record, I mean, and play for a big 12 championship game. Now they're going to a New Year's Six Bowl. I think that Texas fans, if they're down on this game, they need a, you know, a little bit of a reality check because the wins have not been very much lately for Texas. And so for Texas to even have the opportunity to play on the big stage in the Sugar Bowl in a New Year's Six game, I think Texas fans need to just realize how big of a step of progress that is for the football program. Okay, so I would be remiss if we didn't talk at least a little bit recruiting. Now, I don't need you to go and yeah. break down everybody <laughs> that has been assigned so far. Um, they've signed 22 recruits. It was a, a top 10 class so far. What is your just kind of overall feel about this class? This would be Tom Herman's third class in at Texas. So what is, what's your overall reaction to the class? I think, you know, I think that there's definitely some areas that the staff definitely needs to address prior to the second signing period in February. Um, you know, I think that in skill type of players, I think Texas – had a monster in Jordan Jordan Whittington, the wide receiver out of Cuero, Texas, and he just played in the uh, state championship game today. And he had over 300 yards rushing. He had six total touchdowns, and he had 11, I think it was 11 tackles on defense. Like, this kid is a legitimate athlete. And so I think he's a player that, I mean, he, he committed a while back. And so I think when Texas, they missed out on two key running back recruits in Noah Kane and Trey Sanders. But I think a lot of fans may have like an initial letdown. Then they kind of see it today and they look at these stats of these other playmakers that Texas has. And I think that that's something that's big, um, you know, because there is a possibility that that little Jordan Humphrey and, and uh, Colin Johnson, you know, they haven't made up their mind if they're going to leave early for the NFL. So there may be some openings at the wide receiver slot and position for Texas next season and having a skill type of guy really like, you know, good playmaker like Jordan Wellington is a positive. And plus to Gabriel Floyd, the uh, linebacker out of Westlake Village in California, you know, he's he's legitimate too. Um, but also the, I think the biggest area that Texas really needs to kind of address is offensive line. Um, you know, uh, Texas does have technically 23 commitments right now, um, but only 22 have signed their letter of intent. And the one that hasn't is um, offensive tackle Javon Shepard, who's a four-star out of North Forest in Houston. So I think Texas is trying to kind of hold on to him. And they did get a commitment today from a four-star, um, oh, shoot, my his name just left me, uh, Hookman, who's an offensive lineman. Um, and uh, so I think that, you know, with between, between him and then Tyler Johnson, that's only two positions that they've really filled. And, and they're going to lose three starters in Calvin Anderson and Patrick, or two starters in Calvin Anderson and Patrick Vahe um, next season. So, Texas needs to fill some holes on the offensive line that hasn't necessarily been a strength for Texas over the last number of years. It did kind of progress, you know, um, this season with the addition of Calvin Anderson, but I think that's going to be something that the Longhorns need to look, look at moving forward. So outside of offensive line, is there another position you think that Texas should, should target with one of its remaining scholarships? Uh, probably running back, I would say. Um, you know, I think, Losing out on Noah Kane, who uh, signed with Penn State, and then Trey Sanders, who signed with Alabama. Texas has one running back signee in Darian Brown, and he's a legit playmaker. I mean, this kid is not a scrub in no way. And so I think that, you know, I think Texas has a good one there, but I do think that that is a position. They ha- they added the addition of Trey Watson this season, um, the graduate transfer from Cal, but he's going to be gone next year. And so they really, you know, and there's a possibility that, Kyle Porter might move on, who um, is redshirting this season. They have Daniel Young. Tonyel Carter is a running back who already announced that he was going to transfer from Texas. So really right now, that room is kind of at three with the addition of Darian Brown. So I think having you know a little bit more bodies in that room would probably be a, a key for Texas um, before the next signing period. So 2019, uh, we've still got the bowl game, but just looking ahead to next season, I know it's a little ways off, but what are you most hoping to see in the offseason heading into 2019 that would give you the the hope or the faith that, that next year might be the year that Texas is finally officially back? Um, you know, I think that that's something that Texas fans like 
is going to be reliant on, honestly, is the decisions of Colin Johnson and little Jordan Humphrey. Um, I do think that if the two of them decide to return for their senior seasons, I kind of think look out for Texas next year, honestly. I think that Sam Ellinger has shown his progression, and he's such just kind of a, like, just a, a baller in a way. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's really shown his athleticism and how much he has made a leap from year one to year two. And I really think that if he has the right playmakers on offense, that that he's going to be a big time guy in his junior season. So I think, um, you know, if, if that's something that Texas fans get for Christmas, the return of Colin Johnson, Lil Jordan Humphrey, I think you're going to see that next step on offense next season. I think that's going to be the key of saying that Texas is back at that point. But it, I think it is dependent on the type of skill guys he has to use at his disposal. All right, I'm putting you on the spot. Do you okay. have a prediction for the Sugar Bowl? Oh, <laughs> I don't know if Texas fans are going to like this, but <laughs> I just don't. I don't like their chances in this game, and I've been proven wrong. I mean, I was very much saying that Texas was going to lose to Oklahoma and, and the Red River Shootout, and they they proved me wrong. And so I, you know, I think I, I I'm very curious to see how well this offense does against Georgia's defense. Um, I think if, if they can get the ball rolling and moving and stuff and, you know, they can protect quarter, or, uh, Sam Ellinger from being destroyed by Georgia's front seven, then I think that Texas could have a chance in this game. But the thing that, you know, we're talking about the defense, Georgia defense, let's not forget about Jake Fromm in the offense. <laughs> I mean, the, he's not a scrub. You know, that's probably a future Sunday player. And so I think that um, I, I just think that Texas defense has really been suspect. And I think they had not done a very good job this season of putting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And my goodness, if you look at those offensive linemen at Georgia, they're, they're pretty large. And the last decent or good offensive line that Texas saw was Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. And Texas defense did not get any pressure on Kyler Murray. So I think that that's probably going to be key, um, in the trenches, you know, this game. And I just don't, I don't give. I'm not going to give Texas the edge in that situation against a, the type of SEC team. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I, I think Texas can have a good showing, but I would be shocked if they got the win in this one. Yeah. Um, uh, I will be rooting for them, uh, especially from the Big 12 <laughs> side, but I would I would be shocked if they get the win. Yeah, I'll just enjoy my time in New Orleans for uh, New Year's Eve. Oh, very nice. Yeah, that'll be not a bad way to ring in the new year in New not Orleans. Not bad at all, yeah. <laughs> Taylor, you are always fantastic and a great source for Texas information. Do me a favor. Where can everybody follow you and check out your work? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, and my Twitter handle is Taylor underscore Estes underscore. And then um, I am with Horns 24-7, so uh, just Horns247.com. Yeah, you guys do some really good work over there. I always appreciate having you on the show. Thank you for joining us and helping me preview the Sugar Bowl. And enjoy the game. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me, Philip. It's a matchup of former Big 8 and Big 12 opponents in Memphis on New Year's Eve. It is the Liberty Bowl. We're previewing Oklahoma State versus Missouri. Two great guests on the show. Going to welcome Kyle Porter from Pistols Firing back on. Kyle, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to talk. Uh, I didn't think I'd be this excited to talk about a 6-6 six and six team, but it's it's been a while, so I'm, I'm ready to roll. Excellent. Yeah. You know, it's the further away you get from that TCU loss, the less the, the pain from it, you know, the more it subsides. <laughs> uh, also very yeah, excited. that's true. Very excited to have Pete Scantlebury from Rock M Nation on the show. Pete, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm likewise excited to talk about some football. It feels like it's been forever since the regular season ended. Uh, I know we've had a very busy Wednesday covering uh, signing day. Everyone's been kind of all over the place. But it'll be nice to actually just talk some actual like football game, not just which three-star is going to be awesome and, and why didn't you sign a five-star. So let's start here. Two very different teams this year. Missouri ended the year really well. Oklahoma State was kind of all over the map. So, Pete, I'm going to start with you, especially for fans who haven't seen much of Missouri and only know about Drew Locke, the quarterback. What should Big 12 fans who tune in expect to see from the Tigers? 
Well, I, I think if you only know about Drew Locke in regards to Missouri, I think you'd be surprised with watching them play because it's not the Drew Locke show anymore. Um, Missouri's improvement in the second half of this year when they went on the, the run to, to get to eight wins uh, was done largely with Drew Locke becoming not, not a game manager, but um, he, he was not the center, the, the focal point of the offense. Um, Missouri really leaned on its ground game, and they have um, a, a trio of really stellar running backs in Demaria Crockett, Larry Roundtree, and Tyler freshman Tyler Beatty. Um, those three guys in a pretty strong offensive line really led the way and allowed them to control a lot of the games uh, towards the end of the year. Um, and then they showed um, – I'm, I'm not going to say that they are an Iron Curtain defense by any means, but they showed a lot of defensive appro- improvement toward the end of the year. Again, you know, you're playing – the quality of opponent goes down a little bit, um, but the, the defense really did step up. So if you go into this game thinking it is – Missouri is – goes as Drew Locke goes. Um, that's not really the case anymore uh, in this year anyway. Kyle, as we mentioned, Oklahoma State really up and down. The team who knocked off Texas, West Virginia, Boise State, but also lost to TCU, Baylor, and, and Kansas State. So I'm curious, which Oklahoma State team do you think is most likely to show up in this bowl game? Well, last time I checked, Missouri was ranked, uh, which is a good thing for Oklahoma State because they've only pretty much exclusively played well against ranked teams. They, uh, you know, as an underdog this year, I think they went, what, they go three and five, or excuse me, as a favorite, they went three and five. And then as an underdog, I think they went three and one uh, with their only loss <clears throat> coming to OU, which pretty easily could have been a win by converting that last two point conversion. So, They've had a weird year. I, I honestly don't know what to expect, especially after some time off. I, I kind of wrote about this after the season, but I feel like I know less now after watching 12 games from this team than I than I knew in August before they started. Uh, so I, I have no idea, but I do think that they they get they get excited. They get up for important games, big games. And while the outcome of this game is fairly inconsequential, uh, it's still a big name team uh, in a pretty good bowl uh, with with something to play for. So we're we're leaning toward the one that beat the ranked teams. Is that what you're telling me? Hopefully, I hope so. Otherwise, it's going to be a blowout because I mean, like like Mike Gundy said today, Missouri is a basically a top ten team that is kind of veiled as this you know twenty third or twenty fourth ranked team in the country because they lost you know a couple of games that they could have won. So the, the Missouri's really good, and if Oklahoma State doesn't, doesn't show up, they're going to get blown out. All right. So these are two teams that this is the last year for their quarterback. Drew Locke likely to go to the NFL. Taylor Cornelius is a redshirt senior. He's done. Probably some other players leaving for both teams as well, both sides of the ball. Bowl games, you, you want to win, but generally there's some other things you would like to see maybe in preparation for next season. So Kyle, I'm going to let you take this first. What do you hope to see from Oklahoma State in this game? Well, I, I think they have an opportunity. You know, this is kind of the first uh, the first year that they have – well, it is the first year that they have an opportunity to play guys in a bowl game uh, and and not have to burn a red shirt. And, and you know, originally – people get all worked up about this red shirt rule. Originally, it was created for this purpose because you've got guys that have now been – at these schools for 12 months uh, at most if they entered in January or some of them four or five months. But for all intents and purposes, these fresh, these true freshmen are now sophomores and they get a free game. They can play in this game and it doesn't count against any of their eligibility for the remaining four years that they've had. And so I'd love for them to play uh, somebody like a Jamal Jeter or uh, I don't know, one of the young corners or safeties that that haven't played. I, I don't think they're going to play one of their their freshman uh, quarterback. Uh, well, I guess they're not both freshmen, but I don't think they're going to play Spencer Sanders or Drew Brown. But I'd love to see them, uh, maybe C.J. Moore, true freshman out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, can get some playing time. See these guys that, while this game won't necessarily prep them for 2019, it would just, I think, be fun for a fan base that's that's wanted to see what they can do to, to watch them come out and play in this game. Pete, same question. What are you hoping, besides a win, to see from Missouri in this game? Yeah, I think um a, a big thing for Missouri going forward is you know so much has changed with them going into the off season. Um, just with the future of the program, with Barry Odom suddenly being entrenched and 
um, getting off the hot seat with Kelly Bryant now transferring to Missouri and giving them a very competent quarterback for next year and the first year after Drew Locke. Um, so I, I think my biggest thing is um, some of the young players, or not young players, some of the guys, the returning guys on defense um, that have played so well the second half of the season now get to go up against um, you know a, a legitimately good quarterback, a legitimately great offense. Um, again, you know, if you look at Missouri's schedule, the second half of the season has not been a murderer's row of quarterbacks or offenses, but they have some talent on defense. I mean, they had two all SEC second team players. Um, they had three actually all SEC second team players on defense, but two of them, uh, linebacker Kale Garrett and uh, cornerback Demarcus AC, are coming back next year. And I'm interested in seeing those two guys, especially go against um, Oklahoma State's offense, uh, especially Demarcus AC. Um, this guy has really evolved into a, um, uh, I'm not going to say elite, but definitely like an upper echelon SEC cornerback. Um, but he's done that again against not the best competition, not the best offenses. So I think one thing that I'm watching is um, how a player like that steps up against a very good offense. Um, I, I think it's something that is going to kind of help them set the tone for next year when even with Kelly Bryant at quarterback, um, there's going to be some questions. They're, they're losing some guys, um, and they're going to have to kind of be next year a uh, run the ball on offense and um, play a lot more consistent on defense kind of team with a uh, – and if they do that, they have a what looks like an easier schedule. And so potentially, you know, nine or ten wins is not really out of the question. Um, but I, I think – this game, I, I, momentum doesn't carry over season to season. Momentum's not even really a thing, in my opinion. But um, it, it it will be interesting to see if they can kind of set the stage for what could be a pretty special year next year. These are two teams who have a history. They faced off, I believe, fifty two times. Missouri leads the series twenty nine to twenty three. It's I was never quite sure why Missouri left the SEC, but that's an entirely or left for the SEC. It's an entirely different point, but. How do you guys feel about these matchups between these former opponents? I like seeing OSU and Missouri play. I would love to see um, Oklahoma State play uh, Texas A&M. I really enjoyed watching them play Colorado in the Alamo Bowl a couple of years ago. And Pete, I'm gonna let you take this one first. What do you? How do you feel about this particular matchup? I love it. I think it's a great matchup. I think it's, you know, the Liberty Bowl is a decent bowl. And again, when you're at kind of this level of bowls, it's all about kind of the intrigue of the opponents versus, you know, the prestige of the bowl. And um, I I think this is a very intriguing game where, you know, I could see both teams coming in and blowing out the other team. Um, I I think it'll kind of regress toward the mean and this will be a very competitive, very good game. Um, You know, I was at the Cotton Bowl after the 2013 season. And that was one of the best games I've ever seen. One of the best games I've ever covered. Um, and uh, I, this kind of brings back those memories. I, you know, I know that for some reason, some Missouri fans were like, Oh, we just played Oklahoma state five years ago. It's like, yeah, it's five years ago. It's not like, it's not like it happened last season or anything like that. I think this is a fantastic matchup. Um, and again, not just the history of the two teams together, but um, kind of the matchup, I think. I think this is going to be a fantastic game, and that's why I'm excited about it. Kyle, what are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I agree. I, I think that when you're, especially for Oklahoma State, when you're looking at potential bowls throughout the year, at one point it was like, well, they could play Tulane in the Armed Forces Bowl. And it's like, I'd, I'd much rather play Missouri anywhere than playing that game. So from that standpoint, I, I think it's great because you have two really solid uh, football programs that are, are scoring off in the postseason. My my only thing I do I, I like I like it when like last year Oklahoma State got to play Virginia Tech in the Camping World Bowl. That's fun because they don't they don't ever play. I mean historically speaking, I think it's fun to play teams like if Oklahoma State would have gotten a, a I don't know a Michigan or a obviously they're not at that caliber this year, but the the type of program that they don't usually get to play, I think that's a lot of fun as well. Um, but I, I mean, given given what the choices were uh, in, in 2018 for Oklahoma State, I think it played out pretty well for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm happier seeing Missouri versus Oklahoma State than it would have been against Vanderbilt, which might have been the other yes, option that yeah. would have been not fun. Um, <laughs> as an OSU fan, that doesn't sound appealing. Okay. Prediction time. Uh, I want to know what you guys think will happen and, and what your score prediction is. Kyle, I'm gonna let you take it first. 
Well, you know, I, I think that ah, it's so hard because Oklahoma State, it, it's so funny because their their defense was so bad this year. And yet the offenses that they played that were that were really good. So if you look at West Virginia, if you look at OU, yes, those teams scored. O, OU scored, what, 48? Uh, West Virginia scored 40, I think. But in the second half of those games, Oklahoma State's defense played as well as they played against anybody all year. They put, they only gave up, I think, uh, 21 total second-half points to West Virginia and, and OU, two of the best offenses in the country. It might have been 28 total. Um, so they've played really well at times against these good offenses like Missouri has. Uh, but I don't know. That being said, I, I just think Missouri is a is a much higher caliber team uh, in, in 2018 than OSU is. So I'll say, I'll say, I'll say Missouri wins. Um, what was the what was the Cotton Bowl score? 41, 41, 28 or something like that. I'll like, say, I'll say Missouri wins 41, 28. Okay, all right, 41, 28. Pete, what have you got? Yeah, I, I think this is going to be a little bit more low scoring than people think, and I, I think a couple of reasons for that. I think. Um, uh, I think Drew Locke is not going to look his best against Oklahoma State just because of the layoff, because of what happened in the Texas Bowl last year against Texas. Um, I, I think it's just going to be out of rhythm a little bit. Um, so I think Missouri is really going to have to lean on its ground game, which, again, is very good. Um, but I think that's going to be more of like a ball control game for Missouri, um, if anything. Um, I do think Missouri will win because I don't think they'll turn the ball over. They've been pretty judicious with turnovers especially uh the second half of the year again um but i think it's going to be a um i don't know like a 31 27 type of game um with missouri winning in the end i I just think it's going to be a little bit more low scoring and more of a defensive struggle than i think most people expect going into this one all right it's an interesting take yeah you guys should enjoy this more than texas bowl because there won't be a head coach on the sideline making fun of the quarterback (laughs) so that'll be my gosh! <laughs> Seeing the Oklahoma fan mock Herman for mocking Locke in the um in the Big Twelve Championship this year was, I think, the highlight of most Missouri fans like last five years. That was just <laughs> fantastic. That's the best thing I've seen in a while too. The co- the Cotton Bowl, by the way, the final was forty one thirty one. Missouri scored right. Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State scored seventeen points in the fourth quarter. Missouri scored twenty four points in the fourth quarter. There were. There were 41 points scored in the in the fourth quarter alone. I think one of those was like a, uh, I think there was a defensive touchdown late or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Sh- Shane Ray returned a fumble for a touchdown late, and that kind of clinched. It was uh, Oklahoma State was driving, and then um, oh, man, yeah. I think Michael Michael Sam got the sack. That yeah, uh, who yeah. Was the, who was y'all's quarterback that Clint year? Shelf. It was yes, yeah, Clint, Clint Shelf, and then Shane Ray returned it, and that was kind of his like coming out party where he blew up the next year and then became a first round pick. Um. Oh, yeah, that was, that was a hell of a game. That was also a fun fact about that game. Missouri quarterback James Franklin got hit so hard in the first half, and later I found out um, from multiple sources that he didn't remember most of the middle stretch of that game. And if you look at his numbers, it makes sense. <laughs> Obviously, That's... he woke back up in the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have been fantastic. Kyle, do me a favor. Where can everybody follow you and your work? Yeah, pistolsfiringblog.com, and then our Twitter. Our handle is at pistols guys, uh, because there's multiple, multiples of us running that handle. Um, so yeah, appreciate the, appreciate the shout out there and, and had a blast coming on. Yeah. I, most Oklahoma state fans follow your site, but if for some reason someone doesn't, you absolutely should be doing so. Uh, Pete, where can everybody follow you and your work? Yeah. Check out rockmnation.com. It's a, another fine SB nation site. Um, you can see our work at rock M nation. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Pete Scannelbury. Um, and if you do, just be prepared for really bad puns. Um, because that's kind of my thing. And nothing wrong with puns, <laughs> nothing. Uh, guys, you both have been fantastic. I just want to say thank you again. Good luck to both your teams, though I will be leaning toward Oklahoma State in this one. And uh, enjoy the rest of the bowl season. Thanks a Thanks, lot. Thanks, so Appreciate it, man. about you guys it is the matchup i am most excited to see bama ou in the playoff semifinal Uh, it's it's such a huge game of course we're going to preview it and we have two great guests to help us out first up seth olivares from crimson and cream machine back on the show seth how are you sir 
I'm doing really well. Really excited for this matchup. Yes, me too. And very excited to welcome first-time guest Josh Chatham from Roll Bama Roll. Josh, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks. Thanks you. Okay. This is a little bit sound a little bit weird, but we're going to start by talking defense. I know this is a little bit surprising to everybody, but the most interesting conversation about this is the perception is going to be that OU is going to be able to score, uh, but but their defense isn't going to be able to do anything to slow Bama down. So we're going to look at it like a 60-40 game, which I think is a, a bit of a joke score, but the point is, is there. So Seth, I'm going to let you go first. What do you think OU can do defensively to slow Bama down? I think what they're going to have to do is something that what I saw a little bit of in the uh, Big 12 championship game against Texas, which is show things that they haven't shown all this season, which uh, like a specific play I'm thinking of, uh, like the sa- the the corner blitz uh, to, to get the safety, uh, that they haven't shown that all season. I've, and I was listening to a couple Texas guys talk about that, and they were talking about how they hadn't seen that from Oklahoma's defense. So, yeah, the, they're going to have to do something to – uh, you know, maybe disguise some coverage uh, or, uh, you know, something at the line uh, because they don't really press their the corners up to the line. You know, really, almost no one does in the, in the Big 12. But, uh, yeah, they're going to have to do something to try to try to get some pressure on Tua. Uh, yeah, because in, in, in Alabama's got a great offensive line. they got good uh, blocking running backs. So it's going to be – you know, the biggest challenge of the year, but if they're going to make any plays, that's how they're going to have to do it. Josh, kind of the same question. Everyone says that OU is going to be able to score on Bama's defense. Um, they've OU has a really good offensive line. They've got a good ground game. Got Kyler Murray, who who is mobile and can and pass and is, is accurate. So how is Bama going to slow down OU's offense? Well, I think what it boils down to, Oklahoma is certainly going to score. And, I mean, Alabama fans, there's no question, we're still, while the Saban has uh, long adjusted, Johnny Manziel changed him, there's no question about it. Uh, Saban has long adjust, since adjusted to uh, spread offenses with uh, with uh, mobile quarterbacks, um, you know, and, and got more athleticism. But Alabama fans are still still long for those shutouts, you know, I mean, they, they still, there's still this expectation that, I mean, they, you know, they see an offense that's actually gaining yards on the defense and they freak out. Um, Oklahoma is not going to be shut down. I mean, they're, they're too good. There's no question. They're got, they've got, they've got plenty of talent. So the offensive line, I think that, uh, you know, on, in both trenches, really Oklahoma is really good. As far as what I think uh, Alabama can do, the one thing that we're not sure about Murray um you know, we saw Murray in the SEC, obviously. He was just a freshman, but we did get to see him play. And the thing that I think if there's anything that the jury's out on him a little bit, he is very small for a quarterback. Um, and at, in the SEC, if you look at it, the one thing that is different, especially on Alabama's team, the one thing that he hasn't really faced this year is the level of athlete that Alabama has in the front seven that guys who are have big wingspans who can get their hands up, Alabama bats down a lot of passes, but also athletic enough to chase him down before he gets out of the pocket. Now, nobody's going to catch him once he gets out, okay? <laughs> but Alabama, I don't know if you guys saw, you know, Clemson does a lot of similar things on offense to what Oklahoma does. And, you know, Anne Pretty Jennings absolutely balled out in the semifinal last year. I mean, he just – he owned Kelly Bryant. You know, he's, he, every time he tried to get loose – Jennings was wrestling to the ground. And I think that's going to be how they can shut him down is when Kyler does try to improvise, um, what Alabama is really good at there. They've got four guys across the front who are very experienced. Um, all four are going to play in the NFL. They are really good at trapping quarterbacks in the pocket and then getting them on the ground once they try to escape. And if they're able to do that a few times, obviously you get Oklahoma behind the chains. You get any offense behind the chains you got a really good chance of getting a stop. And that's how Alabama can get some stops. But there's no doubt in my mind, I mean, you know, Kellen Mond was able to run for over 100 yards on this defense because you just you just can't stop a quarterback completely who is able to, you know, run once things break down. Uh, at some point, he's going to get loose. Um, but that's how Alabama can stop him. I think what Alabama needs to do is, is focus on creating those negative plays on early downs, getting them behind the chains, and I think that's how they can get a few stops enough to win the game. I want to talk about the quarterbacks. Obviously, Kyler Murray winning the Heisman, Tua finishing second. We've had 
Heisman finalists matched up in, in national championships before. It happened, uh, you know, Sam Bradford and Tim Tebow, um, Vince Young and Matt Leinart. Um, we've had, just back in the 2016 national championship, you had Derrick Henry and Deshaun Watson. But as far as two quarterbacks who finished one and two and were as successful as these two guys were, I just don't think we've ever seen really a quarterback matchup like this. Now, obviously, they're not on the field at the same time. But I'm I'm just so excited to see how they can respond back and forth. And Josh, I'm gonna let you start where first. You know, last time we saw Tua, he 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 got hurt. He missed the rest of the second half, basically most second half of the SEC championship game. He expects to be 100 percent in this game. What should fans expect to see from Tua? Well, if Tua is healthy. Um, you know, I, 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 this is a kid that <laughs> I, I kind of started, uh, I, I don't follow recruiting at an early stage very much. You know, I mean, I, I, I follow it more since I've been involved with the blog than I ever have, but this was a kid that he, he intrigued me from the first, when Alabama first started recruiting the kid. And before he ever got to campus, I was convinced this kid was going to be a superstar, just everything you hear about him. And I mean, it, it's the amazing thing is when you watch him, when he was healthy this year. It was all true. I mean, kid, kid is just. Uh, I mean, honestly, the best comparison is Baker Mayfield. He he really play. He looked like Baker Mayfield out there. They're just about the same size, uh, about the same mobility. Every ball just on the money. You know, can throw it forty yards on a rope. Uh, you know, he's he is incredible. Um, it was it, it was we we are not used to that level of quarterback play in Alabama. We that's the one thing Saban's never had is that first round caliber quarterback. And um, you know. He he's to to it can he can do it all. I mean, basically, if they can keep him clean, you know, he's going to put the ball on the money, and he's more than capable of getting outside the pocket and running himself. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to uh, if he truly is healthy, I think he is going to uh, become a household name very quickly. Yeah, I believe the the apt comparison of Tua on Alabama has been uh, when Kevin Durant joined the Warriors. It's just it's just not fair. It's just not right. You guys are supposed to be a great defense and a ground and pound offense, not have a, a number one overall pick quarterback to go with it. But he has been absolutely spectacular this season. So has Kyler Murray, but Murray has not faced a defense like Bama's. There's just, there's nothing like that in the Big 12. I'm not getting, the Big 12 has some decent defenses, but nothing like what Bama's going to show. So Seth, how do you think Kyler is going to respond to playing a defense like Bama's? Well, that is the question because, yeah, like you said, he he just simply hasn't seen a defense that's even comparable uh, this season or probably in his career. Like since you know, you know, yeah, I don't know really know what all he how much action he saw uh, while he was at A and M as far as like you know um, extensive through the game. I know he split some time, but but anyways, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's just from, you know, I, I covered all the, the press conferences this year. And so Kyler, he was he was at, you know, he spoke at all of them, uh, the weekly press conferences. And I got to be honest, I the only other player I've ever seen that I can say rivals his level of confidence is Baker Mayfield. I mean, the, the kid, he just, he, he, he he's just overflowing with confidence uh, about his own game, about his preparation. Um, just his ability and, and, and I mean, he, it shows. And, uh, one of the, the really telling, uh, moments of the season that really just told me that this guy, he, he can kind of handle it is, uh, the, the Texas Tech game when he, two of his first, I don't know, four or five passes were interceptions, you know, and Oklahoma goes down 14 nothing right away. And I mean, you wouldn't know it if you just looked at him, you wouldn't know. You would, you would, you would honestly think it was, the game hadn't even kicked off yet. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see like him actually compete against athletes that are, you know, the the highest that they can be at this level. Um, guys that can that can make tackles, that can chase them down. You know, if if they've got the angle on them, because a lot of times guys have angled on them and he still outruns them. But if that happens this time, it probably won't be the case. So um, I expect him to. To have a you know a solid game, but I mean I I, I would doubt that he's going to have any kind of record-setting uh, day against the Tide. I want to step from from the game specifically for a minute and talk about the playoff. There's a lot of talk going on about playoff expansion, and we we touched on this you know before we started recording. So I'm 
I'm really excited based off what I've heard so far. <laughs> um, but this, I want you guys' opinion because this is a different situation. Bama hasn't missed the playoff yet. OU's been in three of the last four. So these are two schools that are doing just fine. Uh, don't really need a playoff expansion. They're they're good with four because nine times out of ten they're they're going to be in it. So I'm curious where you guys, as Bama and OU fans and people who cover the team, stand on this. And Josh, I'm going to let you take this first because I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. What is your take on playoff expansion? Well, let me ask you something. Just this curious. This might kind of an off the wall question for you guys. Either one of you guys play fantasy football? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I follow it, but I don't play. <laughs> All right. Well, well it, what week do they hold the championship game in fantasy football? Like right before the is it right before well, the playoffs? This week. Right. Why don't they hold it next week? And there's one week left in the NFL schedule. Why don't they hold it next week? Uh, it's because like some a lot of times teams will kind of yeah, take some guys out or. <laughs> so so let me ask you something. This year, Alabama goes into at the Iron Bowl is a sacred. It's one of the sacred rivalries, right? It's one of the, the biggest games of the year every year. Uh, Alabama was eleven and zero going into the Iron Bowl this year. You got an eighteen playoff. Why doesn't save? You know, obviously the eighteen scenario that we've seen usually involves getting rid of the championship games, which makes sense because then you don't really have to add more games. That you know nobody can really complain about it, right? You cancel the you can't cancel the championship games. Most of those are awful anyway, and just replace that with a first round of the playoff. So if you've got if that's the case and there's no more games to play, you know, you're going in the twelfth game and you are Alabama and you're eleven and zero and you're going in to play Auburn and there's an eighteen playoff, why are why are we playing Tua? Why are why are why don't we just go ahead and rest starters and make sure we don't get any injuries for the playoff? I mean I I, I guess I hear that you're gonna have a hard time justifying that in college the way you do in the NFL. Um just based off schools and I, I like you can get away with the NFL. I'm not sure you can get away with that in college. Like I hear your point, but I'm not I sure there that, that people would be okay with that. Well, I know well, that's the whole point. They won't be, but a smart coach, if you got a coach that's got a thinner roster, you know, I mean, it's you, if you, if you've got a, if you've got a situation where you're where you know, Georgia, you know, you've heard the thing with Justin Fields is like, looking like he might transfer their depth chart at quarterback. is going to be really thin. You know, if I'm Kirby smart and I'm 11 and 0 going to Georgia tech, I'm not if Kirk, Jake Fromm's my only quarterback. That I know I can't win with the second guy. I'm not playing him. Why would I? You know, I mean, it's uh, the that's the, uh, that people may not like it, but the bottom line is, you think in January they're hoisting a trophy. You think the fans are going to be mad because they lost to Georgia Tech? Ask Alabama fans if they were mad that they lost to Auburn last year. They got over it real quickly. As a matter of fact, they have fun making fun of the Auburn fans, saying your Iron Bowl win didn't mean anything. Um, but. Uh, you know, it's just that that's my take on it. I think that it and it also ruins the other bowls. I mean, since we've had this, these uh, Saban actually mentioned that when they first made the playoff, since they've had these 14 playoff where they've taken the four best teams and pulled them. Look how God awful the matchups have been in the New Year's six bowls. Whereas you go back to the BCS or even before that, the old bowl tie ins where we had conference tie ins. You usually got good matchups because you got the very best team from from these big conferences playing each other. You know, originally, I remember, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know how old you guys are. I'm old enough to remember when they were debating this stuff originally before the BCS. And they were talking about the uh, they were talking about a plus one format. And, you know, I think that you know, we, we've got the committee now or use the BCS formula. Why not just go back to the old bowl tie ins, play the play them all. And then uh, that's one more data point, And then have the committee pick two teams to play for it all. And that's it. You know, that use the whole body of work. And that is another data point. But, yeah, doing this expansion thing, I, I think it ruins college football. I think it ruins what makes it special. I mean, the NFL, again, the reason the reason they hold fantasy football championships in week 16 is because week 17, everybody's resting their starters. It's already got a spot clinch. And that anyone who thinks that wouldn't happen in college football is foolish. I mean, undefeated team, I mean, it's, it's going to ruin rivalry week, and that, to me, is the best week in all of sports. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's why I despise the idea of it primarily. All right. Seth, what about you? Um, I was actually asked the same question, uh, uh, this earlier this summer, uh, shortly after big 12 media days. And at the time I was okay with, I, I, I thought four teams was, you know, was, was right where it should be. But as I've kind of thought about it more, I've, I'm, I'm definitely now a proponent of eight teams. Um, but I, and I had like a, a, a system I, I posted about this before, uh, like what I would feel like would be a, a working 18 playoff, which, and it's 
a little controversial on the on the outset, but <laughs> hear me out. So like maybe eliminate conference divisions just entirely. Just like, but I mean, obviously it's not not all conferences are going to be round robin because they're not all ten teams like the Big Twelve. Um, uh, then you know, so then that way the top two teams can play for the conference title, which means the conference title games wouldn't be you know always just trash. Um, uh, and and you can still keep in you know the, keep keep games that normally would have crossed over divisions. Like uh, I believe Alabama and Tennessee play each other every year. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. So, and some people would be worried like, Oh, if, what if Ohio State and Michigan don't play each other? If you uh, eliminate divisions, it's like, well, you can, there's precedent for it. You can keep certain games, you know, uh, every year and not, a, even if you're rotating. Um, then also, so then those, the five conference champs after that, would get the auto bid and then there'd be three at large, which I feel like that's where I I would want a committee still only the committee only determines the at larges and then also the overall seating of all the teams. So, and because like for, for example, for this season, I would have loved to have seen Georgia and Ohio state. And I I don't know. I I still don't think UCF would have deserved to be in an AT playoff this year. I don't know, but (laughs) at least maybe they deserve it. I don't know, but I wouldn't want to see them in it. Um, I don't think they'd be. I don't think. I don't think they could match up. But uh, I would have loved to have seen other teams like that be in an 18 playoff this year. Um, and probably every year you can find teams like that. Um, and then so then in that way, yeah, this would be adding a game to the schedule, uh, at least for the teams that make it. Uh, but then like the first round could be hosted by the top four seeds, and then semifinals and championship be just kind of like how it is now uh, with a rotating with the new year six bowls. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely, I would like, I'm, I'm okay with four, even if Oklahoma wasn't making it in, um, as often as they have been, I'd be okay with it. But if they expanded to eight, I think I'd be happier with that. To your point, I, I have thought that it would make so much more sense. And in the sec and two, you know, if you're going to have 14 teams, it is better to have, and, and the SEC this year benefited. Georgia and Alabama were the two best teams in the conference. Um, but you looked at the ACC, and it was Clemson and Pitt. <laughs> the Big Ten it was Ohio State and Northwestern. Like these are these are awful. Is it's happening happen in the SEC with Florida too? Sure. Yeah, like, Florida, yeah. Florida, 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 fifty. Missouri made it three years ago. <laughs> right. Like, get rid of the divisions. Have three guaranteed. So, if you're in the SEC, it works perfectly. You've got 14 teams. So you play three guaranteed rivalry games, three teams you play every year, home and home. Um, And then your other five games, you've got 10 teams left over. You do a home and home, and you do a home and home. And that way you're not doing, like, was it Clemson or Georgia hasn't even played A&M yet and won't play at A&M until, like, 2022. Wait, since A&M's been in SEC, they haven't played? No. Georgia and A&M have not played. And still won't for another few more years. Like, it makes so much more sense to to have three guaranteed rivals and then play everybody more often than to sit here and 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 it also bounces up. But then you get your one and two, and you you're gonna have a be- easier way of determining who the two best teams are. And that's just then you say your conference championship games are your semifinals because then you're gonna have the two best teams in each conference. Well, there you go. That that's how you make it eight, and then you do your four the the you know however you want to figure out the four mm-hmm. best ones, yada, 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 yada. But just get rid of divisions. They're so outdated, and they don't – they're just so unbalanced. Like, that's the worst part. They're so unbalanced. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, the the, pro- the problem you got in both the, with a scenario like that one is uh, obviously the first thing, you've got an obstacle because both of you guys are talking about adding a 16th game. Yeah, so that's the first. That's a hurdle that's got to be overcome. You know, that hasn't been approved by press. You know, I said if, if you that most of the proposals that I have seen have evolved around eliminating the conference championship round altogether. Um, you know, that that would make more sense to me because you're not actually extending the season. You don't have to get into the conversation about finals and all this other stuff. And I do think there's merit. People talk about every other level of playoff. They, you know, the division two does it, division one double A. I do think that it's a, you know, <laughs> the division one double A uh, uh, playoffs, for one thing, are not the media circus that the FBS playoffs are. I mean, these no. guys give it a hell of a lot more time, uh, you know, and never mind the fact that the, the beating that they take. I mean, it, when you're playing an FCS game, you're not playing against the guy that's going in the first round. 
Yeah, I mean, when you start getting playoff games at the Division One level, I mean, you're talking about guys who are going to be playing on Sundays very soon. We're talking. I mean, it, it, it becomes almost NFL-like in terms of the violence. So I do think there is something to be said for why FBS is a lot different because it is a totally different game than the, even the FCS level game. Um, so like I said, adding that 16th game is a hurdle that would have to be overcome by the university presidents. And so far, they've been resistant. It took them forever to add a 15th game. Um, so that is the first thing to consider with with those proposals where you're including the championship game with an 18 playoff. You guys both make a lot of points. I really like to have this conversation and I would keep it going. But at some point we do have to wrap it up. So let's go ahead and skip to our predictions. Uh, Josh, I'm gonna let you take this one first. What do you think happens in this game and what is your final score prediction? Well, I think that, like I said, I, I think that a lot of Alabama fans are going to be very, very uncomfortable with um, uh, certain things that they see. I mean, first of all, I, 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 there's no doubt in my mind that a lot of the fan base probably doesn't respect Oklahoma's ability to run the football. I mean, you know, Sermon and uh, Sermon and Brooks are, are, are uh, good running backs. They got a big offensive line. Uh, you know, they're veteran up there, and, and they're very good in the trenches. And I think I think Alabama fans are going to be very surprised what Oklahoma is able to do, or not not surprised, but they're going to be mad at their defense. Let's put it that way. Um, but bottom line is, I mean, it's when you look at it on paper, I mean, it, games aren't played on paper, but it's hard to find a way that Oklahoma wins the game to me just because you've got two offenses that are almost equal. I mean, they really are statistically, these two offenses have been very, very similar to one another. But then you look at the other side of the ball in the defenses they're playing against, Alabama is elite still. They're, you know, top five right in that range, top four, top five. And then Oklahoma is, I mean, they've been kind of awful for the most part. I mean, they're, you know, they, and they don't have a lot, especially in the secondary, they just don't have the talent back there to stop three NFL wide receivers. Um, so uh, actually four probably. So to me, I think what it's going to boil down to is I think it is going to be a high score game. I think that I think Vegas has that part right. I think the over under is about 80. Um, I do think it's going to be a very high scoring game. I think it maybe even goes over. Um, but uh, I just think that Alabama is going to get a few more stops than Oklahoma will. I think it's that simple. So if I'm predicting a score, I've had it somewhere in the neighborhood of, I'd say, uh, 54 to 34, something in that range. All right. Seth, what do you got, sir? Yeah, so uh, I, I did a little research on the uh, since the, the CFP started in 2014, and uh, an underdog has won in the semifinal each season, uh, you know, depending on which, uh, you know, kind of uh, odds makers you look at. But, yeah, so I thought that was interesting because um, I thought in my head I was thinking, you know, a lot of times the favorites have been winning these games. Um uh, but, 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 uh, I think one of the major keys is definitely Marquise Brown's health. Um, you know, for all accounts, it's sounding like he's, he's, uh, he's going to play, but you know, was, he, he played in a, a few games this season where he just definitely wasn't hundred percent and it showed, um, and then all, and and then also, I guess the same goes for uh, Tua. Also, this his health, and it sounded like he's going to be, if not 100, percent very very close. Um, those two, those two things are really going to affect this game. Um, you know, yeah, Oklahoma, they're not going to get a lot of stops. Definitely, maybe, maybe not going to get any stops, <laughs> but definitely not going to get a lot. Um, but I think the kind of like what they've been able to hang their hats on this season is is a uh, timely plays, especially late uh, as of late. Um, and I expect them to make some of those timely plays again, this, this, uh, in this orange bowl. So with that said, I'm, <sighs> I'm going with Oklahoma to shock the nation in a, in a high, very high scoring game, 44, 41. Um, I could easily see this, you know, being a lot like the Rose Bowl last year with uh, Georgia and Oklahoma, even going to like an overtime. Um, but I, I don't know. I just there's something there's something about this Oklahoma team that they just I don't know. It's like they just they I don't know. It's almost like they relish playing in these uh, really frenetic games. I mean, by necessity they've had to, but it just seems like just the attitude of the team is like, almost almost like they, they like it in a very strange way. But um, so that's what I'm going with. All right. We got an upset pick here. Very 
exciting. I love when you guys don't pick the same thing. It makes my day so much better. <laughs> you guys have both been fantastic. Josh, do me a favor. Where can everybody follow you and your work, man? Oh, I mean, obviously, RobEmerald.com, uh, you know, RBR underscore Josh on Twitter. Uh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> Seth, what about you? Where can everybody follow you and your work? Yeah, uh, CrimsonandCreamMachine.com is where I do my writings. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Seth Oliveris. It's like Oliver with A-S. I mean, I don't know. They might be able to see it written down somewhere too, but yeah. Okay. You guys have both been fantastic. I am super pumped for this game. Good luck to both of your teams and and have a happy holidays. Thank Thanks, you. you too.